welcome to Season 5 of the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, best-selling author and international speaker, Michael Sherlock. The Shock Your Potential podcast is dedicated to entrepreneurs looking to up their game, increase their income, and scale their businesses to new heights. Shock Your Potential is a professional services company providing affordable services to small businesses, matching entrepreneurs with virtual assistants, and offering specialized leadership and sales training to companies around the world. Learn more today at shockyourpotential.com and listen in now to another motivating episode that will help you to shock your potential. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock, and all month long, we are talking to some amazing people in the marketing space. Now, you've known that we've talked about this before, and sometimes I talk about the magic of marketing, which you know there's no magic. It's just really good hard work with some data behind it. But this month, we're calling it magnetic marketing. Why? Because I think if you really approach marketing from the right perspective, then you will start to attract those people who want to do business with you and who are actually good customers for you, not just any customer, but the right ones for you. And my guest today is going to help us make some of those strategic and, dare I say, surgical decisions. Here we go. Pete Senna is a design-led entrepreneur who loves to partner with future forward founders. I had to say that slowly so I didn't screw it up. Entrepreneurs and business leaders to unlock new possibilities and what we all know is important, growth. Now, Pete co-founded a company called, get this, Digital Surgeons. See why I got that in there? It's a forward-obsessed brand experience consultancy. And he's a dedicated collaborator who uses creativity to mix visual branding, storytelling, and user experience to deliver results-driven, not just pretty stuff, but actually ones that give ROI, and future forward growth marketing. Now, how does he do this? Well, it's a little bit what we uh, talked about there. He combines the unique power of human creativity and curiosity, which we're going to talk about. I'm very excited with leading edge analytics and technology. And through that, he empowers fellow founders and forward thinking business leaders to uncover transformative possibilities. Oh, that seems seems like potential to me. And by this, it paves the way to unconventional paths to growth. Now he's been doing this for a while. I'm not gonna tell you how many decades because he doesn't want you to know, but he's built and led cross-functional teams that have delivered successful multi-channel programs and activations ranging in scale from venture-backed startups to Fortune 50 organizations. So I'm going to say he's been there, done that, seen it all, and now he's going to share his wisdom with us. Pete, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me on. I don't know if I've uh, been there, done that with everything, but uh, (laughs) that was such a great intro. I I feel like I should copy and paste that on my LinkedIn or something. I love people's bios because it's when we write our bios, we're trying to tell a story that's really important to us. So I try and make sure that every bio that I read, I not only read it ahead of time, I practice it, but I really try and think, what is, what's the core here and how does this speak to me and my audiences? So yours is packed full of stuff. And I love how forward focused you are. And I can't believe I said it all without screwing up all the alliteration. <laughs> it's like seashells by the sea or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. Seashells by the seashore. <laughs> I'm lucky I have some really great copywriters on my team. So, so thank you to my copywriters who have read this. They're awesome. Well, Pete, I hit the highlights of your bio from your excellent copy team, but tell us a little bit more about you, your business, Digital Surgeons, 
and uh, how this helps companies like mine or my listeners to shock their potential. Absolutely. Well, Michael, thank you again for, for that great opening. So just really quick on me. So I grew up here on the East Coast in the States, and I'm a self-taught designer, programmer. Um, went to, ended up going to school for business and technology and all that stuff. But the reality is um, it was really the, the school of hard knocks, aka teaching myself where I, lo- where I learned most of the things that, that I do every day now. Um, so really just a little bit about digital surgeons. As you mentioned, we are a demand design consultancy. And what that basically means, just to sort of remove all the, the buzzwords, is we help businesses design growth. And what that might look like is through a branding perspective or a messaging. Um, we might help them with tactics like websites and different marketing channels that really are going to help their business. And the reason why we use that, that language around forward obsessed or future forward is because we see that there's one big thing that all of our most successful clients have in common, and it's their ability to listen and, and take on and try new things. You know, some some folks will will hire an agency or a consultancy or whatever buzzword you want to throw at it, and they won't listen. And essentially, what they are ultimately then doing is they're paying for very expensive advice from smart people that they don't get to put to work. So I put that future thinking, future forward in there because what we did is we looked at about 15 years worth of data from our clients, and we actually measured it against their company growth trajectory. And one of the things that we saw was the clients that we managed to have a two to five year relationship with that were able to successfully implement the recommendations that we came to bear with, we, they saw a very, very strong upward trajectory. Um, some of the, the kind of finer points just for you in the audience is many of the clients we've worked with have received big funding events. They've been acquired or they've sold the business, some of which have gone on to IPO or become public. So really, when we say we design demand, we mean it. Because at the end of the day, if we're not helping our clients grow, whether it's two people in a garage in a startup or a Fortune 50, and we work with both, if we're not helping move the needle, we're not doing our job. And we only want to work with companies that we can really help to demonstrate the ROI because we're not in the business of just making things pretty. Um, as you were talking, I was taken back in time quite a few years when I was doing consulting work um, in kind of business growth, not in marketing, but business growth and strategy. And I worked predominantly with medical practices. So uh, cosmetic dentistry, ear, nose and throat doctors, eye doctors, those types of things, uh, plastic surgeons. And I would say in the beginning when I was first like meeting with potential clients, you know, I was, you know, you, when you're beginning, you want the business, right? So you want the business. So you're going to, you know, work with whomever. And then when I started having more and more success, I became much more picky because I would, I would have meetings and these doctors would think that they were there to interview me. And, and finally, I mean, I, I guess it was kind of cocky, but I would say, look, I know. And they're like, well, we'll think about it and get back to you. And I said, I remember saying the first time when I said, you know, I appreciate that. Thank you. But I want you to understand that this is just as much about you deciding if you want to work with me as it is me working with you. And they got all a little uppity. Now, keep in mind, I ended up working with this practice for a number of years and we grew them substantially. But I said, if you're not going to take the advice that I give you that I know works, why would I ruin my reputation (laughs) to work with you? I have a reputation of great success. 
But when I haven't been successful, it's when people aren't going to take the advice that I know is going to work. Now you can question me and we can talk about it, but if I get you know in your office and turn around and go and fly back home and you don't do it, you're ruining my reputation. And, and it was it was a really great awareness. I love the fact that you've gone back and you reflected on these clients and said, okay, let's see what where they've gone, where they went, and how does it correlate to what we did with them and the length of our relationship. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think data is important. And I think people hear that and it's such a buzzword, but data is not just necessarily looking at spreadsheets and analytics. Data, I think, is really qualitative in some cases as well. As you know, we came up with this framework, we call it the four green lights, which is how we run the entire business. And, And we've written about it a bunch, we've been interviewed on it. And essentially, just without going into too much detail on it, um, the first green light is uh, is team satisfaction. The second green light is customer satisfaction. The third green light is are we driving business impact? So positive ROI or business impact. And the fourth green light is profit. And what I always tell people is profit is not a goal. Profit's a result. If you're doing right. one, two, and three really well, most likely number four is going to fall in line. And obviously, we're in, we're in the people business. Again, the talent that we're able to attract and uh, retain is ultimately what enables us to do the best work for our clients. Now, I say that because when we're looking at the data, when we're talking to customers, one of the interesting things that came up from somebody on our business development team is we realized that most of our clients, we were working with them across three, maybe four, even five different companies that they had been at. And obviously now with the time and tenure people spend at organizations shrinking with all the things that have happened as of late, the great resignation, as I'm sure we've all heard all about, What's really interesting is we pride ourselves on relationships. So when there's a change in leadership, that's a great opportunity for us to really come to the table, respect and bring some of the new ideas and solutions to the table. But when when we did that, that data, and I put that in air quotes, what we learned was, wow, the companies that we love working with the most, they have these different things in common. The companies that bring the least amount of satisfaction to the team, again, that first green light, it's clients who don't listen, clients who don't respect the team, clients who are just maybe not great great people in general. And, and they're sort of like dumping all their problems on, on the service provider, which we are the service provider. So when going through that, we sort of had a little bit of a, like a, a reality check, if you will, as to, okay, what are these companies that we can make the biggest impact and difference in look and feel like? And then how do people behave? So we've actually even started to shift the way we communicate in our marketing and what we put in our sales decks and those kinds of things, specifically because we want to do that litmus test the same way that you did with that that you know cosmetology or dental practice um, pr- provider to really make sure that there's a fit there. Because at the end of the day, you know what I always say to people when I'm meeting with the C-suite is I'll say, look, you might be the best in the world at making these particular things. In the case of the dentist, you, know, you might be the best in the world at cosmetic dentistry, but I'm the best in the world at designing demand and, you know, or one of the best, maybe not the best, but you get the point. I'll go with it. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't think we would ever say we're the best in the world at, but I, we certainly try. But yeah, no, it sounds like we've got a lot of kindred spirits there for sure. Yeah. And I think it's really important. I'm really pleased to hear more people talking. Um, in fact, the person that I interviewed right before you, we were talking again about, you know, who are you attracting to you? Are you attracting the right client? Are you attracting the right customer? And really being thoughtful about that because business success, if you put profit in your green lights, if you put profit first, those others are all going to suffer. Um, You also have to be very cognizant that the first two could be great, 
but your ROI and your profit might not be great. So they all have to work in conjunction together, but it's that that sense of, are we aligned to the right, not just, you know, is our team aligned to the right mission and vision, but are we aligned to the right customers? Because that's how you create then demand when you found the right people, then more people are gonna want to connect with you that are similar to them, you know, that you can have those same success factors. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's funny that you mentioned you're going through that. I really believe that a lot of companies don't measure the right way. What I mean by that specifically is one of the first things we do when we come in, we have this thing called the demand audit where we're coming in and it's just really our fancy discovery. Um, And I say fancy because we do some proprietary stuff that's pretty interesting. But one of the first things we do is we understand how do you know when you're successful? What are you actually measuring? And a lot of times people focus on vanity metrics or you know, what I ask sometimes people that are in a brand or marketing role or sales role is what are the KPIs that you measure? And mm-hmm. a lot of times, if you're not clear with your organization about what you stand for and what you're trying to deliver against, it's really easy to have these things called competing commitments, right? So yeah. if we said, hey, our number one only important metric is profit, well, that might mean that some of our clients treat my team in a lousy way which in which case I'm just losing people left and right. If that was the case, I don't really have a strong business anymore. So what I like to do with with folks is say, okay, what are the most important metrics and why? And then let's build a program around those measurements because then we can really clearly prove, are we moving this needle or that needle? A lot of companies, if you've got more than five metrics, you've got too many metrics um, is what I tell people because you know, you can't measure more than the things that are on one or two hands. Um, And again, that gets nuanced, right? For, For some folks, you know, some folks have higher level metrics that are what I call dashboard metrics, and then they kind of get smaller. Um, but we're talking about magnetic branding today, not metrics, right? <laughs> but I think they they really come together. Well, and as you're talking again, I was thinking about this whole new, and I'm going to call it trend, and I'm using my air quotes for trend, uh, like net promoter, net promoter score. That drives me crazy. I think whoever came up with net promoter score, first of all, had to be a very good salesperson because they sold people on things that it just, it makes me nuts to have one question. Here's the question. Would you recommend us to other people? Yes or no? And, you know, I worked for a company when they were so excited about rolling this out. And then the whole objective was my team, if they got one that was a no, is to get that person on the phone and, and work that person until they got them to say yes so they could change their answer. And I'm mm-hmm. like, what are we actually doing? How is this actually moving our business towards success? Why are we looking at these wrong things that are not leading us in the right directions? I have a super <laughs> funny story to tell you that I'm so glad that you mentioned that promoter score. So first and foremost, for those that are listening, Bain, Bain and Company, the consulting firm, they are the ones that were accredited with coming up with Net Promoter Score. What I think is really provocative about Net Promoter Score, one of my clients, and I won't, I won't out them in case they don't want to say this, they were a former Bain consultant. And they were at a startup that we ultimately ended up naming, branding, and making very successful with them, of course. So we were, we were a part of that journey. I don't want to take all the credit for it. But they were very much focused on Net Promoter Score because um, she was a Bain consultant. And obviously, that, that's like you know branded into you at date from day one. And they have a great training program at Bain and some of the most smart people and smart consultants in the world, right? What's funny about Net Promoter Score is it's really easy to massage the metrics. So what a lot of big corporations will do, and this is why I'm very careful to say, show me what you're doing to measure the Net Promoter Score. Because 
it's a it's a general thing for those of you that don't know it's typically measured by you know detractors and promoters and it's a very simple scale but a lot of these companies would go out they would hire for c they'd hire um, Cantar or a research firm and they would kind of stack the deck with what the results were and then their teams would go in and, and tell very unique stories about what was good or what was bad that was to be validated or invalidated now listen net promoter score is a great metric if it's true data that comes back on what they call the instrument or the measurement tool, right? So you can use a simple, I mean, if you're a small business owner, you can use a tool like Clavio or Hotjar, and there's a million of them out there that are inexpensive, and you can throw a net promoter score at people. But just, I want the listeners of this, and you want you and I to do this too, how many survey instruments to pop up on your phone or your computer every single day, yeah. right? We see them all. And how many do you actually respond to? <laughs> So, so one of the, it out. <laughs> 100%, right? So one of the things I say is how you get the net promoter score when you ask for it, yeah. those are really, really important things. But if you can get a true net promoter score and show what's, you know, the, what's making it go up or go down, then you really have a healthy brand, in my opinion, or, or at least a healthy brand experience. But, mm-hmm. but that's just a funny story on, on net promoter score because that's who invented it. It was a gentleman by the name of Fred like Fred Reichheld or something like that at Bain. So total fun fact for the, the audience. I don't know why I know that other than the fact that I work with a really smart Bain consultant um, and love the folks at Bain. So if you hear this, give me a shout. I'm not throwing you all under the bus. It's all about the fact that to your point, how a company is using that information can either be wasting time or it can be used to, you know, it's like your powers can be used for good or evil. How are you using it? And are you using that to really learn about your customers and what you're doing right and where you need to adapt? You ever heard the Zappos story, Michael? No. So one of one of there's a famous so Zappos, obviously incredible, amazing um, brand, really focused on customer happiness and and success from from the onset. Um, again, rest in peace, Tony Tony Shea, the the uh, the founder and CEO. But the there's a story. This is a great example. So if I was in charge of customer success and one of the metrics that I put in place, and I wouldn't do this, but if I put the metric in place for number of completed calls every day, yeah. every customer service person would do as much as they could to get the person on and off the phone as quick as possible, right? Because the gold star that they get is measured by that. Right. Now, what, to- what Tony and what Zappos did was they said, we don't want you to get off the phone with the customer until the customer's happy. Right. So what they did, one of the famous stories was beautiful, right? Such a beautiful story. And again, we can all learn a lot from these case studies because there's just so much richness in there. Right. Um, One of your other uh, folks that you had on the podcast was talking about how he loved case studies. And that's how he went into insights and research on your Mm -hmm. curiosity episode. It was a great episode, by the way, for those that don't haven't heard it yet. But the point was that they were on the phone and someone was having an issue. And essentially the Zappos person went and ordered them a pizza and, and did a bunch of these sort of like odd types of things. There's stories of people making restaurant reservations for someone who on their on their anniversary had a problem or something like that. So there's all these interesting stories. If you just Google um, customer, you know, customer stories from Zappos, that'll blow your mind or something. I'm sure it comes up on Google. There's a million results. But the point is, if the metric that that business was measuring was customer, the number of customer calls that an individual rep took every day, that would be the wrong metric. So that's a great example is when I'm going to these organizations with my team, we're first understanding 
what does success look like to you? What do you measure it by? You know, I did this, I was literally on a call before this interview with you, Michael, and I was talking, I was, I was sort of on a briefing call with my team and the, the client, it's a direct consumer brand. I won't go into too much detail, but they basically said, so that for those that don't know, it basically means you can buy the stuff on the website. They're not in retail, um, et cetera. So, you know, we all know, we all know what that means at this point, because we bought stuff online. So the first question we asked is, okay, what's your number one business problem? They said, not enough people know about us. So we have an awareness problem. We want to acquire more customers. We would like to, over the next quarter, we'd like to double the amount of customers we've acquired. So I said, okay, great. What's driving that? And one of the things that the person said was, well, we really need to increase our revenue. Oh. Now, so, so we sort of in that conversation basically had a very, very simple question. We said, okay, so you need more revenue, which is why you're going after more customers. What is the customer lifetime value of a single customer look like? Correct. Right. Yeah. Good, good and question. They came back and then we said, okay, well, so how many customers do you have right now that have bought more than, more than twice from you? And they said, well, that's a really good question. We don't know the answer to it. I said, great. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to your insights team and I want you to find out how many customers have purchased more than twice. Right. And I want you to, I want you to multiply the number of customers you have by $1. Do you think you can get some of your customers to buy something for $1? They're like, of course we could. Our average cart value is actually $75 and up. I said, great. So let's just pretend you can get 10% of all your customers to buy more. Would that, would that help you double your revenue? And they're like, you know, you can see them doing the math on the call. Yeah. And they were like, that's a great example. Not to say like how smart my team was, but that's a great example to say, are you measuring the right thing? Right. I think they want, you know, in, we do this thing called five whys, which, you know, is largely documented outside of our industry where you ask a question, someone answers it and you say, well, why is that? And you just keep going deeper. You know, you know, it's a consultant, clearly, Michael, right? But that, that's something I just love about what I do is I'm in the business of problem solving. It just happens to have a lot of other buzzwords associated with it. Absolutely. That's the whole premise of my first book, Tell Me More, is you just ask enough questions, you unpack the whole issue. I love it. Well, Pete, we're going to take a quick quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor for the month, and we will be right back. Hi, I'm Moira, and I help coaches and consultants get premium value clients using speaking. And I show them how to create a lifestyle of freedom and impact. And over the last seven years, I've been learning everything I could about speaking and what it takes to make offers that people take action on fast. And what I'd like to do is invite you to learn how you can use speaking to fill your business with clients and create an amazing lifestyle in the Dial In Your Destiny Challenge. Over these five days, I'm going to share with you the exact same strategies that I used and my clients used to make six and multiple six figures. There are two ways you can join this challenge as well, not just one. The first one is free and you'll be in the general admission and that'll be awesome. But the second is the VIP experience. And here's the thing. If you want to be a six or seven figure business owner, then you need to start acting like one now. And they always go VIP because they want more than the general public. They want to get more questions answered. And with the VIP experience, you're in a more intimate group where I'll be coaching you exclusively on your specific business situation. Plus, you're going to be invited to join a special Telegram group that I'll be in direct communication with you throughout the challenge so I can understand your specific situation with speaking and your business. And those of you who can't join VIP, listen, you'll still be invited to the Facebook group and that'll be awesome, but you just won't be in the room where I can do the questions and answers with you. But you'll still be in the room, right? For those of you who are looking to get more intimate, 
You'll really want to be in that VIP and I look forward to seeing you there. Listen, you're going to be able to walk away from this challenge with the exact strategies that you can start implementing in your business so you can use speaking to get qualified leads, connect with your audience in such a way that they want more. And more means filling your business, your programs with awesome clients. So click on the link below and I look forward to seeing you there. And we are back with Pete Senna with Digital Surgeons. I love the name of that. Talk about why you came up with that as a name. I, I didn't even ask you that yet, but I, what a great company name. Talk about that. I'm so glad to hear you say that. It's it's funny. We, we get a lot of, there's been a lot of discussion around that name over the years. <laughs> so, so we've been in business since the name came up in 2004 when I first came up with it as the founder. Um, now we've got partners. Uh, you know, I brought on a co-founder a couple of years later um, in 2006. But originally when I came up with the name, I was working for a very, very large, um, I don't like to always out them, but you can just Google this and figure it out. But I was working with a very large corporation that does sports stuff. They may or may not have a TV show or TV channel. You've probably heard of them. And when I left the organization as a full-time employee and switched over to becoming a contractor, one of the types of projects I was getting a lot. So some of my first projects I got were basically fixing people's messes, right? So much like a surgeon, I was sort of getting this rat's nest of code because we did a lot of digital stuff, websites, apps, et cetera. And we were like, as a young, you know, at the time I'm probably 19 years old and I'm combing through other people's code and design and just trying to make sense of it. And I was like a digital surgeon and I was going through and taking things apart and putting them back to bed, you know, putting them back to, to, together and trying to make them better than um, where I found them. And I think ultimately that's where the name was inspired by. And then over the years, we've evolved into a lot of different things. You know, we do branding and marketing and service design and all kinds of different things. But even though digital now, I say is like oxygen, we all breathe it. Like we're on a digital tool right now, this digital microphone, everything's digital. So some people are like, well, why haven't you changed the name yet? You know, typically our clients call us DS is just sort of the name that we go by. But th the reality is so much of where a brand takes place now is digital. It's digital first. So when I look at just the time and cost of a rebrand versus the benefits and the cost of it, we've never changed it. But yeah, thank you for, for saying that. That's where the original name came from is just kind of going into things. We've fought very hard. You, you won't find any medical references anywhere on the website. Um, <laughs> because I remember, you know, you get those like lead gen spammers that will spam, spam yeah. you out. And I remember it's like, do you want a list of medical doctors? Cause you're a digital yeah. surgeon. And I'm just like, no, but you know, it's funny. One of my, one of my favorite companies back in the day that does what we do or, or some of the things that we do is a company called Big Spaceship. You know, so there's lots of different different names or Firstborn is another one. Like these are companies that we compete with or have worked with in some capacity over the years. But it's just really interesting because in our space, the agency consulting space, you have sort of two flavors, right? Flavor one is Smith, Jones, and Arkhart, you know, like the last names of the founders. Um, my partner and I don't really have a, a big ego about us. Right. So we're like, all right, we're not going to name this thing after us. Um, and so that's flavor one is naming it after yourself. And then flavor two is coming up with some quirky name that means nothing and everything all at once. So, <laughs> well, and it comes down to what's important to you and how you measure success too, because why do a rebrand? You can always still tell your story. Nobody, you know, it's not harming you in any way, shape or form, but the cost advantage and the, or, and I don't just mean cost like financial cost, but the, the cost uh, potential to a rebrand 
is dicey. And if you don't need to do it, why would you do it? I think it's, I think it's a great story. It's actually a really great name because it brings to light what you are trying to do. And that is help a business to uncover what their pain points are so that you can find a solution. So same thing a surgeon's doing. Absolutely. No, I appreciate saying that. I can't wait for my partner and my team to listen to this. <laughs> so what does, when I, you know, the series this month is called Magnetic Branding. What do you think makes something, you know, when we're talking about uh, magnetic marketing is the sense of, you know, how do we draw people in? How do we find uh, customers, find the way to have customers want to reach us? It's a fantastic question. So. I want to first come at it through the lens of brand, and then I'll come at it through the lens of marketing, because I think that people confuse the two, and and I won't make this a dissertation on the two today, but, but to answer your direct question. So the first thing that I always like to make sure that the leadership of my clients understand is what makes them different and what makes them better. A lot of times people will say what makes them different. A lot of times they say, well, what they think is what makes them better. But what I always say is when the leadership can say what makes them different and better, and then their customers say the same thing, the overlap of that Venn diagram is where the magic happens to your point earlier about magic. And that's really where that magnetic moment happens. And and I think the greatest way to do that is to understand how to tell the story, which sounds a bit trite as an answer, but the reality is what I mean by that specifically is We've all had that experience where we saw an ad or we saw a commercial or we heard about a product from a friend of ours that we complimented and you go online and you do a search, whether it's on Instagram, TikTok, or Google, and now you land somewhere and you're looking at a expression of this business, of this brand. And that expression might have people in it. It might have values in it, it might have a message in it and how it makes you feel and what you do next is the most powerful thing. So- mm-hmm. In some cases, clients have hired us, and after we've done our deep dive, all we've changed is one button on their website, or all we've changed is a headline. And they'll come back and be like, I just paid you all this money, and you changed a headline, or you changed this, or you know, or you changed some colors in their mind because they don't have that background, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the next question on my mouth is, okay, well, how did that affect your business? Right. And you know, a good example is, you know, we have some clients that are doing, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a day in revenue through their digital properties, right? If you think about increasing an average order value by five dollars, mm-hmm. multiplying that over a twelve-month annual, a single engagement for us, you can see sometimes a thousand, two thousand percent ROI. It's not always going to be that magic one-to-one relationship, but I think that to your point earlier, marketing and branding isn't magic, and but a great brand is magnetic. Right, it's the thing that people want to talk about. My my example I gave always is is Tesla. Tesla spends zero dollars on advertising. Yeah, but they spend a lot of money on PR and events, and they spend money on lots of things. So the people always say, "Well, Tesla doesn't spend any money on advertising, but they get all the reach." And it's like, "Well, hold on a second. If you look at the the cost that people spend on research and development for Ford and for other car companies, and then you look at the cost of research and development for Tesla." it's disproportionately higher because they're obsessed with the product and they're obsessed with the customer. So I use that as an example because we can all relate to it because we we see cars on the road every single day if you leave your house. Um, And that's a great example is the means to the end is different, 
So it might be coming from a different PL or from a different business unit, but the reality is, you know, the, the rising tide happens and the boats get lifted. So I just like to give that example because I think sometimes people, what I find is leaders invest in brand last. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I was saying to somebody the other day is we were talking about a, you know, it was a, a six-figure in- engagement um, around branding. And they came back and and they were not liking the idea of spending, you know, high six figures for, for that kind of engagement. And the question that I asked, um, well, actually, I didn't ask this question. One of my teammates asked it, but I, I wish I asked it, was <laughs> um, what do you pay your average salesperson base compensation? Right. And it was actually higher than this particular engagement. So I said, okay, so so you what do your salespeople use? So I asked the follow-up question. So well, what do your salespeople use? To close a deal. And they said, well, they use these decks and they use this thing on the website and they use this, this online calculator demo thing. I said, great. So your your digital presence, your all your storytelling, like that plays a role in the success of the salesperson, right? How's all your sales team doing? And it's like, I, I think to myself, I'm like, it, it's it's asinine when I hear, oh, our sales team's underperforming. And then you talk to the salesperson and you say, hey, what do you need to succeed? And they say, we need better marketing. And then you say, well, yeah. what would that look like? And they say, well, right now we look like we're from the 1990s and our, you know, all these smaller startups are coming in and, you know, th- they're eating our lunch. I'm like, well, yeah. why is that the case? They're like, well, they look sexier, they look modern, they speak to the younger techie consumer, and we're just not, we're not there. And I'm like, so why are yeah. you not investing in in this type of thing? And really, I think it just comes down to, you know, you have to understand what the organization stands for. And sometimes getting them to change. Like if I said, hey, do you wish that you could hire a single salesperson that would always perform for you 24-7, 365? And oh, by the way, they're not going to leave on you um, when they get a better offer from somewhere else. Is that something that you'd invest in? Like I never thought to do that. But now after this podcast with you, I'm like, I should go talk to my BD team about this because that's a a good rebuttal. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, and that's, that's a, it is a good rebuttal. It really is. It's a really great question. And, you know, and I get that too with my training that I do with sales and leadership training. And people are like, well, if we do X, Y, and Z that you suggest, it's really going to cost X, Y, and Z. I'm like, yes. And then I just like let it sit there for a minute. And then I'll say, now let's talk about what would that mean for you? when this pays off. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, it's not just a check we have to write. It's an investment in the future of the business and getting people to understand. But I think that's really, I think it's a really powerful message, especially when when we put it down into to concepts that branding is not just something pretty or nice to do. So you have something nice on the wall or that looks good. It is the way that it is the message that's being uh, said about your business. I always ask people, what do people say about you when you're not in the room? Amen. You know, what are people saying about your company website or your, your marketing materials when you're not there? If you don't know the answer to that question, you better start investing in it because you're not, then, then you don't know, you're not controlling the narrative. And then therefore you're losing that opportunity. I love that definition. What I always say, Michael, is that brand is the space you occupy in the hearts, minds, and wallets of your customer. Mm. So couldn't agree with you more. It's what they say about you when you're not in the room. <laughs> 
Exactly. That's a beautiful way to put it. I love it in that way. Pete, I could talk to you forever. I just I love it. I love what you're you're doing. I love your perspective on this. I know we're going to have all of your contact information on our show notes, but just in case somebody else who's listening today is so excited that they can't even wait to get the show notes to look you up, what's the best way for them to find you? So I am Pete Senna. So P-E-T-E-S-E-N-A on most of the channels. Um, I'm really active, probably too active on Twitter, on at Pizzana, um, on LinkedIn as well, and on my website, pizzana.com. Um, if you want to learn more about digital surgeons and just sort of what we're up to, it's digitalsurgeons.com. Um, so I'd say Pete, the person, pizzana.com. Um, Pete, one of the companies that, because I, I investor and I'm an owner in a couple of different companies, but one of them that we're here to talk about today is digital surgeons. So hopefully those will pop in the show notes. And again, feel free to at me on the social channels. I'd be more than happy to answer any questions. And, and Michael, it's been great tuning in here. Um, I, I've got a new podcast to listen to thanks to you. So <laughs> yay. And, and we know that we'll also have a link to your new podcast. So we'll have that in the show notes and it is called forward obsessed, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. We're really excited about that. Good. So we'll promote that as well. Well, you've already given us a lot of wisdom, but before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Listen to your heart. <laughs> that's, oh, that was, that's the thing I would say is um, I think not enough people have listened to their own instincts. Certainly the pandemic has shifted that for many of us, but what I would just say is listen to your heart. If you're, if you're in the right place or the wrong place, your body will tell you. So that's, that's what I would say for some lasting uh, thoughts there. Amen to that. Pete, thank you so much for being with us today. You have been a phenomenal guest. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.